is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to Fudge Buppet. My name is Scott, and I'm here with Michael and Drew. <laughs> A very different setup. You're the... literally here with Michael. Yeah, he, he died last episode, but we brought him back, but... I only have a local necromancy spell, so it's right here. So, um, yes, today's episode is a somewhat of a continuation from last week's episode because we're talking about the Riemann Empire, the empire that follows Elysia's some couple of hundred years later. So, Drew, take it away. I'll kick us off. All right, so we had 2,000 years of the Elysian Empire, and then when that finally came to an end about 400 500 years of just not much going on and then in those days the empire of the cyrodiils was dead save in memory only for through war and slug famine which is referring to the Thracian plague and iniquitous rulers the west split from the east and colovia's estrangement lasted some 400 of years so basically nothing was going on for the longest time until one king named Hroll had a vision of snakes of the Akaviri invasion coming and realized petty Colovian kings are not going to be able to save Cyrodiil. We need a dragonborn ruler. So he goes out in search of this dragonborn ruler and he he does some interesting stuff with a hill. <laughs> he does, he does. He he goes out with his men and he's um he they come across a I guess a spirit a spirit that they see to be Saint Alicia. Mm -hmm. And uh, Saint Alicia basically does a runner into the wilderness and they go searching to chase her. And finally he comes across her. And um, you know, it's, it's, it could be very metaphorical, but it says she kind of gets naked and um, he ends up copulating with a, a hillock. <laughs> so he, um, I guess, thrusts himself into the earth. Carves himself a little dirt hole. and <laughs> Carves himself a dirt hole on this little... Just mining. Just this mound of mud and smashes it yeah. and um, dies in the process. He it was, was such that a good. thrill, he dies. <laughs> mm. And um, anyway, some of his men come and see this and, and are driven mad and others just kind of leave in shame. And uh, eventually this hill begins to grow mm. and it starts as a small hill it grows into a slightly bigger hill and a bigger hill and people come to the hill and and congregate around it people from the area and eventually it, it grows quite large and a shepherdess comes and 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 travels to the top of it and finds a baby there with like a the amulet of kings basically fused like in his forehead Mm. Like a little gemstone in the floor. It's a real Harry Potter story. And then <laughs> she takes the child to the Imperial City, to the Ruby Throne, puts a baby upon the throne. And then the baby speaks in an adult voice and says, I am Cyrodiil, come. Which mm. is quite literal in a way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, that that's one thing to to ask i guess it kind of it must be metaphorical when you talk about the rising of the hill because it the golden hill it's at sancrator isn't it where mm. where he was born which is where pelinal screamed Riemann's name 2500 years prior well that's what kind of like so. gives a little bit i know that in itself is already mythology like the songs of pelinal but they kind of it kind of does add to the consistency of the remonada like the idea that he sort of at this spot had some kind of like spiritual like foresight of what was to come at this hill um obviously it sounds super embellished and crazy and stuff 
But yeah. I think the idea that they're really trying to go with, even if you just treat it as a myth, is that it's Riemann is the literal manifestation of the land. Like Riemann, Cyrodiil is the name he takes on later. But like he is born of the land. And if you were to say that like Elysia is somehow like spiritually connected with the land as well, like it's sort of, you know, he's like a... It's a nice little story to, to solidify your idea as king. I mean, if you want to be the real um, pessimist and like kind of dismiss the myth as much as possible, it's probably that he was just sort of some kind of successful Colovian king who just managed to, you know, be a good diplomat and stuff and unite everyone against the Akaviri invasion. Yeah, and the story and- would serve to just legitimize his rule that he's like the ultimate Cyrodiil dude. Mm. And in the event that that is the case, it doesn't really take much away from how important he is because, you know, the Amulet of Kings was lost. Um, He had to have, you know, found the Amulet of Kings Mm. and, you know, united everyone. And he must have known something about the the danger that was... uh, coming to the north very soon in the form of the Akaviri invasion. And simply put, as much as it's easy to dismiss the myth, he is in somehow um, an heir to the Empire Way, having the dragon blood and, and creating a new dynasty that could, you know, light the dragon fires and stuff. So it's not it's not like you can just completely dismiss it like he's a hack that yeah. just came up with it all. So there's obviously some kind of prophetic element there. I, I honestly mm. I I just think the story is so cool. I I take it as canon. <laughs> I take it as that's what actually full-on happened i love the the description of the story as well when he sees a spirit it says and to this host appeared at last a spirit who resembled none other than alestia queen of ancient times who bore in her left hand the dragon fire of the akatosh and in her right hand the jewels of the covenant and on her breast a wound that split void onto her mangled feet so one important thing about that is um Pelinor was always described as having a hole where his heart should be that was where the amulet of kings basically bled shining light and in this in that same regard alicia it says that she has a void in her chest which kind of in a way resembles the how the Cyrid- the cyrodelic people have strayed away from the dragon fires and the amulet of kings and if she's spilling void that's essentially like a, w- a way of showing that the the barrier between oblivion the void mm. and mundus is severed and needs to be you know, bound up again. It's cool too that part of, like, both with Pelinal having said to have a red diamond in his chest and her when it's missing and there's void spilling out, but the whole idea too with the it being the blood of Lorcan that fell into an alien well and was fashioned into that big soul gem. Also, the, the whole idea that, like, Lorcan is a god that's obviously missing his heart and is dead. It's a, sort of the same kind of kind of imagery and stuff there with Alicia mm-hmm. missing a heart and void spilling out kind of thing. It's cool. It's cool. But so there's, there's lots of cool mythology there. Lots of cool mythology. But in terms of the more tangible actions, I guess, is that the big problem is, is there was an Akaviri invasion coming. And this is the first Akaviri invasion of uh, Tamriel. And it comes in through up through Skyrim and then starts blazing a trail straight down through into Cyrodiil. And um, that's where we have the infamous Battle of Pale Pass, which is where we've got uh, Riemann, who's gathered together, um, united pretty much all of Cyrodiil to, to fight against the Akaviri invasion. But what's interesting is, A, we don't really know exactly what the, the point of the invasion was, but they do say that they were looking for a dragonborn, which is we've sort of speculated a bit in our Mysterious Akavir podcast, but maybe that's why the, the Sayesi were looking for a dragonborn, someone who's capable of killing dragons permanently so that they could 
eat all the dragons as as it said that Sayasi tried to do but failed. But um, yes, yeah, so they uh, have said to kneel before Reman at the Battle of Pale Pass. Um, and when they heard his voice and they professed him as Dragonborn and they basically all swore fealty to him. Yeah, and that really would legitimize his kind of rule as well. You know, anyone doubting his leadership, it's like, oh, now the invading forces who just absolutely slaughtered their way through Tamriel are kneeling before this man's feet. You know, mm-hmm. like any doubt that you had <laughs> yeah, is now gone. And if you disagree, you've got the Akavir, Akaviri to deal with. The Sayesi, yeah. because they're under his command, and that helped would help him, you know, take over even more of Tamriel. And it makes a lot of sense, you know, that they say um, that they specifically were not hunting. It said that they were searching specifically for him, and it make it makes sense because if you if you're really invading for any serious reason, like you know, to conquer, you don't blaze a trail straight through to the Pale Pass, like get cut all the way through the continent. That's kind of like a bit like what. Um, the the Cameron usurper did and you know you know how that ended up for him it's like you don't just blaze a trail you you have to like do it slowly and integrate and and whatnot so and it's I, pretty obvious i guess too what's interesting here so he he basically he uh recruits a whole bunch of these akaviri into his armies and there's one group that sort of become the dragon guard which is the, the famed group of dragon slayers and protectors of the emperor um and also the uh potentates that basically there is a sort of a chosen Sayasi advisor amongst all the Akaviri who sort of advises each of the of the Riemann emperors that that follow and so on but the other thing that's noted is all of the Akaviri uh, fighting styles and a lot of their military um, tactics and such were actually combined with the the legions so basically on the formation of the legions it sort of gave the sort of like ruby ranks that we'd see today in the in the way that they it provided the basis for all of their military sort of preset i guess so and using that Riemann then goes on this massive conquest he goes on um to take on tamriel as a whole which if we were to compare it to the elysian empire the furthest the elysian empire got was really just sort of you know, right down towards Topol Bay, up into the Nibine heartland of Cyrodiil, and then sort of up across Dragontail Mountains into High Rock. So one big strip. But uh, as we'll get into, Riemann gets pretty far with his conquests. Well, simply being able to unite Cyrodiil is a feat that, you know, um, kind of undid the Elysian Empire. That um, They were never really able to tame the Colovian Highlands, whereas that, that was the first thing Riemann did in, in the face of this Akaviri invasion. So it goes to show his might immediately because it was a very divided province. Yeah, and he kind of set the trend as well, in a way, of all the empires to come conquering Tamriel mm-hmm. or trying to in different ways. And also set the kind of standard as the empire being this more cosmopolitan faction because he'd blended the influences of Colovia, Nibine, High Rock, but now also Akaviri influence. You know, and we and we still see that in in the empire to this day, and with things that came from the dragon guard, like the blades, and so on. So it's an interesting mix. It's also interesting that he is like he's probably if depending on whether you believe whatever the story, uh, the mythological story stuff, um, he's referenced as a son of the West, which is implying Colovia. So it's sort of he was of Colovian sort of origin. So it's interesting that like because you know how they're usually the more stuck in their ways, sort of rigid types. It's like that it's kind of good that it came from a, a Colovian type person to then go and incorporate other elements because 
if it was in the reverse, the Nibbanese or, or, or you know, Akaviri or whatever, they'd have a hard time convincing the Clovians, if you know what I mean. Whereas I feel like Clovians would have followed him more easily because he is one of them in, in, in his, you know, ambitions mm. to create an amalgamation of the cultures. But, uh, it's impressive. It's impressive just how much influence the Akaviri get or the the Sayasi get in this, because you know they're foreigners who are pretty unknown to to Tamriel, and they're the chief advisors mm. to this empire, which is massive. You know. Yeah. Well, I, I think the way I sort of interpret, it, I think like the way like it was really dangerous. Like if Riemann didn't, if he didn't unite them, the Akaviri just would have just taking it all basically all through Cyrodiil and stuff because it's the way it's described it's just all petty kings and 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 stuff spread around yeah. and miniature kingdoms there are if i'm trying to think i can't really there would be no big power bases i reckon because you've kind of got like maybe skyrim i can't remember if skyrim's unified at this point but you've kind of got like high rock and it's different kingdoms you've got all of the clovian kingdoms the nibbanese kingdoms and such you've kind of got elsewhere which is always um, you know, divided in some way. Valenwood, like, they're not conquering. I mean, you've got Morrowind being Morrowind, but they just sit there with their tribunal gods. I don't think there are any. Like, Hammerfell, once again, divided amongst forebears and crowns. It's kind of an interesting self-fulfilling prophecy in that if, if King Hroll had this vision of the snakes, um, so he needed to, you know, to revive the Empire and create Riemann, essentially, and then the Akaviri come and they say, we're here for you, Riemann. It's kind of a yeah. a bit of a, oh, I wonder if it ever would have happened were Riemann not born, with this great event not to have happened. Yeah, it's almost like he brought them. He brought them on over. Yeah, perhaps, yeah it's, I don't it's know, a weird... Perhaps that's what Alicia wanted. I don't know. It, it's, it's weird, but if they, are, if they exist outside of space and time and all these other things, who knows what kind of uh, reasons they have for their actions. The, the it's a theme. Sorry, go, oh, on. go on. I was just going to say, it is a theme in the Elder Scrolls that prophecy... You, I, I spoke about it in the Singers video uh, fairly recently that um, the theme is that if a prophecy is told, it doesn't actually necessarily need to be magically prophesized. A lot of the times it can just come true by by proxy of it being told as a story that drives people into action. And that's mm. kind of potentially what happened here with Riemann. And it's especially true when you look at things like the Elder Scrolls themselves that kind of change and rewritten. Like there is no like consistency to them. Like the timeline's kind of always changing and then you can get into the meta stuff that even potentially like you know past even changes and and retroactively and stuff but it gets wacky but um i guess we can start moving into sort of the now establishment of of, of the of the tamriel wide empire because i i sometimes struggle like where he which there's little details about when and where for every province individually like there are some I think it's Valenwood, if you got that. Yeah, so, so I've got the timeline here. So basically, the first Akaviri invasion with Pale Pass and all that was happening around 2703 of the First Era. In 2704, he divides the reach between High Rock and Skyrim. And that's, an, that's a really important one too, because before then, like... And I mean, even for a while after, the Reachmen are still um, more powerful uh, than than they are in the times of Skyrim and so on. But like oh, yeah. that, the, the point of that d division was incredibly smart because dividing the reach into two and then sort of divvying up the responsibilities between the Breton kingdoms and the, the Nords, you kind of having them both vying over it, basically destabilizing, um, what do you call it? Reachman power and stuff. Hmm. 
But well, it was very difficult. It was so hard to pacify them. And apparently. funnily enough, the Reachmen also get to like an all-time high after all of this. But yeah. anyway, and then in the year two thousand seven hundred and fourteen, that's when Valenwood is conquered by the Reman Second Empire. So all still in his lifetime, Reman the First. And then he dies. Reman the First dies in the year two thousand seven hundred and sixty-two. So. 48 years after Valenwood's conquered is when he dies. And then Raymond II is born in... No, no, no. So, Castav. Sorry, Castav. Castav is, is crowned. Yeah. Crowned when Raymond I dies. And Castav's Raymond's son. Yeah. And he's not anything particularly special. He's a bit of a loose cannon, honestly. Yeah. Do you want to... So, so Castav, um, he's the one who was said to be really, uh, I guess, hard-headed and stubborn and he really didn't want to listen to like the potentate and he basically ordered the dragon guard of skyhaven temple to seize nordic hostages um and that was involved with um something about conscription quotas leading to the winterhold rebellion yeah i remember drew you made a video about that would you remember uh sorry about what sorry about the um conscription quotas and the nordic hostages I've put you on the spot. Oh yeah, that's that's very specific. I can't I can't I'm quite pretty sure it was just along the, the lines of the the winter. I think hold, it was one line. They just disagreed with the conscription methods and so on, and then because there was discrepancies over that, Castav got hard headed, and then he's like, "I'm going to use the Dragon Guard to take hostages," and then that really set off a rebellion. Which here, was... here we go. I've got the exact the exact quote. So Emperor Castav again ordered the Dragon Guard. So again, it sounds like he's quite um, persistent. To seize hostages from Markarth and Hrolden to ensure that the Jarls meet their conscription quotas. So there you go. The Jarls have conscription quotas. And Kastav basically gets a bunch of hostages and says, Fulfill your quotas mm. or I won't let them go. Um, and by hostages, it's probably it's very likely probably members of the noble family and stuff. It says this will make relations with the local populace more difficult, although the hostages are in fact housed and trained with the other acolytes. Yeah, so that's a common thing in, in like feudal societies and so on is like having a, a hostage. Like you don't treat them like a prisoner, but they're, you're, you're taking someone's son away from them and to, to come and train them. And you know, they, they would be exposed to you culturally and so on. And you know, a lot of people don't like that. But um, yeah, that's a, it was a, it's a common in our world history for to, to take, they're, they're like noble hostages. It's not a, a brutal sort of, you know, terrorist hostage situation like you see in a bank yeah. or something. In some it's a, a lesson learned from the Nords and there, you know, Junal kind of brought that idea to them of taking hostage, hostages of war and things like Sorry, that. Sorry, uh, not Junal, the other one, um, Stun. Is that still? Oh, okay. Yeah. You had a, you had a... See, I'm, I'm like very focused right now on, on um, how angry I get at the Imperials pretending to have conquered lands they haven't. So it's like, because um, the, the idea is that Riemann, uh, you know, he also conquered elsewhere. That one is 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 in the texts and apparently used a lot of propaganda, kind of um, dehuman, well, dehumanizing a beast race by literally calling them beast men as a kind of a means to help um, facilitate that. Yeah. But when it comes to Somerset, there isn't really much mention of any great conquest. It's, you know, like when you when you look at the emissaries of the Second Empire, they're only allowed to see the city of Alinor, and it's usually from a distance. So it, it seems to me more like the High Elves just wanted to 
tolerate the empire so as to avoid any unnecessary immigration to their land they're just paying tariffs and taxes and whatever just like yeah just sate them so we don't have to deal with them and that is that you know that's also the case with i mean we're going to get onto black marsh and, and morrowind but yeah the idea that the Riemann dynasty conquered well it seems tamriel wide it's it's much of the mainland but that's so yeah. in Riemann's time, he did, I can't remember, did he get Black Marsh fully? Because it is said in retrospect, by the time of Riemann II, they've only got Morrowind left to go. So between Riemann one and Castav, Valenwood, Hammerfell, Skyrim, High Rock. Black Marsh was, I don't think Black Marsh was ever included in that. I'm, I'd be curious well, to know what died source. in Merkmire, supposedly. Right, so I'm I'm not sure about. It says. I mean, I'll be I'll be poor, interested to hear. I, I I'll just continue on the story of Emperor Castav. Mm. So his poor handling of this and other issues branded him as incompetent, and Castav was deposed in the year two eight oh five or two eight oh six, succeeded by Riemann the second. He lived for several years in exile, dying in the Merkmire region of Black Marsh, in the year two eight twelve. Um, so. I have a feeling that's Elder Scrolls Online. Yeah, I'm pretty Merkmire sure if you do check the, the is there if you go to the Riemann Dynasty, I'm pretty sure um, there's a mention of where of the date that Black Marsh is supposedly like you know we can debate the actuality of how far it was actually. Sure. So in the year 2811, Cyrodiilic forces defeated the last organized army of Argonians at the Battle of Argonia, mm, and the following year Riemann saw Argonia admitted to the Empire as a province under the name. Black Marsh. The rest of the province was conquered piecemeal, with the whole area passing under imperial control in 2837. But as we know, no one has really ever properly taken Black Marsh. They kind of take fringe areas or northwest areas and say, yeah, it's ours, and so perhaps work with other Argonians in those areas, but they don't really get to the heart of the swamp. Yeah, so perhaps that's where our confusion is anyway, because the idea is that Riemann is the one. Who, Riemann, sorry, Riemann the second is the one who focused on Black Marsh. But perhaps they'd been um, fighting with Black Marsh before When's Riemann his reign. The so twenty eight eleven, the Battle of Argonia, is about seven years into Riemann the second's reign. Right. Okay. So Riemann second was the one who sort of got Black Marsh and then yeah. started the Four Score War. So he was really the mover on taking the East. Yeah. And because by so, that point, like it's never really spoken about, but either Castav, probably Riemann before him, to be honest, took Hammerfell and Valenwood and such. Yeah. Yeah. So Valenwood elsewhere, Hammerfell, and obviously we spoke about High Rock and Skyrim, um, is all explicitly attributed to Riemann. Mm. Castav, not so much of anything. But then, yeah, Riemann II is the one who focused on the East. And it's, uh, I mean, there's a, there's a good quote from hiking emmerich from high rock that essentially says if i can find it but it, it says something along the lines of the uh, the unconquered territory in the east was weighing heavily on him so it for sure even if they'd pushed into argonia there's no way they'd made a great deal of progress mm. and the battle of argonia was like it was when you see it's kind of like you can imagine it similar to to vietnam the vietnam war if you were to say that the americans won a, a one big battle against the Viet Cong. It's like, but that's not how they fought. You know, they probably put together an army for a, you know, there, there would be big scale battles, but their, their fight is, is guerrilla warfare. Their fight is, you know, the, the sabotage and the little groups of Argonians pulling off whatever. 
Um, yeah. And that's how they fight. So the Battle of Argonia really doesn't mean anything. And I think for Raymond II, he gets bogged down even after this great victory to the point where he just declares it's conquered. And because Imperials write the history, they're, they're going to go with that. And they say, yep, it's formally conquered as of da-da-da-da-da-da. And it's like, cool, formally conquered. That means a lot, you know? Yeah, yeah. for sure. But anyway, so he goes on to start the Fourscore War, which is a massive war trying to conquer Morrowind and I believe this goes for 80 years yeah well that's why it's the four score I'm pretty sure oh, score, yeah. Four, okay. yeah. <laughs> 20 years yeah it's in the name <laughs> but yeah like um, quick maths yes yeah, so, so then that that's it now that's a big background piece but I'm pretty sure it's Riemann second dies in this at they, they just about all do <laughs> yes <laughs> by the end of it at least mm. there's also a really a really cool part that I um wanted to mention because Juliac is there, right? And this is... Well, he's a bit later, yeah. No, no, Juliac's, Juliac is there in one of the major Reman battles. The yeah, yeah, he's Reman the first. War, I'm saying in terms of dynasty, we're like at yeah, Reman second still. Yeah, yeah, okay. Reman second, um, though, does have a son. Yeah. Juliac. No, he doesn't. Sorry, Braslas the third. Braslas door, and then Braslas door has Juliac. No, Brazelstor has Reem in the third. Reem in the third. Oh, then so yeah, you're, you're way ahead. I'm the way, way ahead, I remember man. it, dude, just, is it's it's like Reeman, not Reeman, Reeman, not Reeman. And only <laughs> the Reemans are remarkable. Boys, all I wanted to say was that there was an underwater battle, uh, an underwater marching of troops with water breathing spells in the Fourth score war. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> that does <laughs> sound pretty so sick. cool. Well, so, I mean, if, like we're, we're pretty much done with Reeman the second, but like yeah. to... So the last thing to say about him really is like as much as I've been kind of, you know, being a bit cruel to him here, he's described as a master tactician and he does something that um, the the Empire does really well, which I, I talked about in the, the video um, comparing the Empire to elves when it comes to rule, is that um, when he conquered new territory for the Empire, he established rule with a careful hand, avoiding too much disruption to local customs, traditions, and particularly to establish trade. So it's like, even though he, I think he failed miserably in Argonia, and we're going to get onto how he failed miserably in Morrowind, he, he was still a very good leader. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And it's interesting, so we've only got, I'm just trying to work out, it's only roughly 100 years of the Riemann dynasty so far. So they've all been pretty long-lived uh, emperors. Um, but then we get to, so Brazila's door was just basically... An unre not unremarkable pilot. Apparently, he was a really um, great combatant and he really loved being up there in the vanguard and fighting and stuff or chilling out in his nice uh, estate near Skingrad. Uh, but he basically left it all up to a potentate. And I think this is the only other potentate we have mention of besides the ones that rule in the Riemann Emperor's steads. But it's uh, Sidri, Sidri Ashak. Yeah. And he basically let Sidri Ashak run the joint. And, and this was actually, funnily, funnily enough, said to be like his only wise decision <laughs> or his smart decision because Sidri Ashak was actually really good at administrating and making decisions and running things. So it was kind of a, you have to wonder if it was like out of laziness. Like I just like to fight at the front of our forces and to chill out in my country estate near Skingrad, or if he actually did have some self-awareness and say, you know what, you're actually better at running things than me it would be best for everyone if I just let you run things. But that could be giving Brazil's door a bit too much credit. I'm not sure. Another little just thing to throw out that happened during the Riemann dynasty is the changing of legal documents 
of being uh, high elven into Cyrillic. So you first get that. It, it kind of reminds me, like, you know how, you know, you, that uh, Latin was eventually changed, obviously, like the English mm. and stuff in English places. But, but yeah, it's just um, interesting. You can kind of see, like, all of the elven... This was like absolutely the biggest blow to Elven dominance ever because this is a this is a basically a Tamriel wide empire with the exception of Morrowind and obviously not as impressive as, as type of Septims in the way that Somerset wasn't properly conquered and mm. obviously he also got Morrowind but um, then we come to Reman the Third who is the titular character in the in the in the book the um, the last year of the first era um, and. Basically, Riemann the Third, as as well as Brazilus, was kept on going with this uh, four-score war. I guess that really was the. I'm sure they had other political things going on elsewhere, but for the main part, um, it was focused around Morrowind. So this is where the Prince Juliac comes in and yes. his fighting battles and stuff. Um, and then we have the interesting story. Does anyone else want to take on that? The last year of the first era story. You go for it, Mick. I was I was gonna say I wanted to tell my official official thing I wanted to say before. So you've got the Battle of Bodrum where forces from Vivek ambush Cyrodiilic army and almost completely destroy it. But then in the year twenty nine twenty, same year actually, there's the Battle of Old Marak, where a heavily armored army led by Crown Prince Juliac, took the Dunmer by surprise due to faulty intelligence on their part, commanding the mystics in his army to cast water-breathing spells. His army passed through Lake Coronati, quote, Pirates of the Caribbean style, with the majority of the army commanded by Vivek being unable to respond to the attack in time. So, yeah. That's pretty badass. Yeah, that's just, that's just super cool. Do you know Almost so cool that you'd want to get rid of him as soon as possible. Yeah, which is kind of what <laughs> ends up happening with his assassination uh, at the hands of the Morag Tong. But see, and it's who... Um, so the idea about who organized this is actually his patentate, Versaduche, the patentate of Riemann III. Because Juliac was actually in the midst of sort of... He, he'd kind of put... He'd, been, he'd done so well in combat in Morrowind and he was kind of at the point where he was talking to Almalexia and Vivek and he's like, okay, we're going to basically end this war and have a peace and Morrowind's going to sort of enter the empire and so on because Juliac was even favoured over his father as a, as a potentially great ruler and so on. He basically basically got them in such a position where he was forcing them to negotiate a treaty. Yeah. Like he'd almost mm. won in a way. Mm. You know, oh, he pretty much had won, really. But then we have Versaduche come in and basically he organized the Morag Tong to assassinate both Riemann III and Juliac. So, and that ends the Riemann dynasty forever. Dun, dun, dun. But what's interesting is, and which we'll, we'll, we'll get to, um, is that the Riemann Empire, the second empire, continues for I'm pretty sure it's nearly twice as long under the rule of the potentates compared to the actual... Riemann Empire, because I'm pretty sure the Riemann Dynasty only lasts like about 200 years. And then for about 400 years... In, so, basically, when he dies, when Riemann... Uh, so, Riemann III and Juliac are killed, um, this, the Savrian... Uh, sorry, Versaduche institutes the beginning of, of a new era, the Second Era, um, otherwise called the Common Era. And um, that's when we start counting time forward in uh, 
the second era with the potentates rule yeah so mm. the Riemann empire or the second empire basically like you said is split into two parts yeah there's the part with everything we just talked about and there's the part with the akaviri potentate and siesi rulers and and leaders and stuff like that which which you know is 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 an argument to be made it's like whether you can consider it uh, a proper empire at all i guess you know if because it, it's not it's not your your elysian Riemann style yeah. dragonborn empire but well, i mean and one final thing for the Riemanns is it's a lesson never invade morrowind just never <laughs> yeah. never mess with morrowind the argonians might eventually learn that but there's no demigods there at the moment yeah well the the um the potentate but there's a lot of interesting stuff happens so a lot of the lore in eso that you'll you'll play the empire that's only like fallen like a hundred years rough i think it's like a hundred or a hundred some hundred years before it um was basically just the potentate empire like the times of Riemann are long gone by the time of, of uh eso but most of it existed under the potentate and apparently it was a pretty tumultuous time like there because understandably a lot of people don't like the idea of, of a snake man ruling <laughs> ruling all of um all of tamriel and and apparently so for versa Duchet, um he employ he's the what is renowned for implementing the the guilds act and getting all of these sort of guilds your majors guilds these guilds or well i don't know about these guilds but like other guilds but most about the fighters guild which was originally called the safim which was a sayesi guild of warriors and basically it was because Versa Duchet, to in, in order to get greater control of all of Tamriel, wanted to get all of the kingdoms unable to rise, uh, rise, um, raise their own armies. So basically, the fight, and they were all complaining, like, you know, because I want armies for protection and so on. So they sort of agreed that, well, there's this mercenary guild that you can use called the Safim, or, the, or the, later the Fighters Guild, that you can recruit for to do whatever you need to do, but you can't have these big formal standing empires so that Versa Duché and the Empire only, are the only ones with an actual army. And he also yeah. absolutely purged out all of the armies that were still loyal to Riemann. Yeah. You know, there were there were still different kingdoms and, and armies that, you know, obviously, like you said, don't want to be ruled by a Sayesi snake man. Mm. And and they're still kind of loyal to the, the Riemann empire and the Riemann way of things. And so um, that basically, what's his name? Vesidjuche, he basically goes on what's called the Riemann purges, mm. killing them all mm. um, and getting rid of any kind of um, resistance to their way of doing things it's a great way to keep your vassals in check you know you you just establish fighters guild um headquarters in all of the provinces under your control and you know if you get locals who want who want to rise up and become warriors it's a really good way to immediately indoctrinate them into your way of thinking into being loyal to the empire and uh and all the while it's you know it's it's disguised which you know i make it sound worse than it is but it's, it's disguised as something that's very beneficial to everyone so it's it's you know it's it shows their intelligence of the these potentates who have been operating kind of behind the scenes it, it also, for as long as the empire's been there. I was just gonna say it also kind of has a little bit more of like a dictatorship vibe in the sense that once he takes control, he still retains the title of potentate. So it's not him and the potentate advisor. It's like I am basically serving as the emperor. I'm, yeah. I'm potentate as well though it's kind of like yeah. i'm president and prime minister you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. i'm advisor to myself yeah. no one gives me better <laughs> information and, and, than myself yeah but to their credit to be fair um the empire does last twice as long as the Riemann dynasty does and and if you also accredit the potentates um like 
uh, is Sidri Ashak or whatever it was, the one for Brazilla's door, they kind of had, you know, a reputation for for administration and stuff like that. So, and they, they, and they proved it because there was only two, Versidu Shea and his son, Savrian Chorak, that run it for the 400 and whatever years it is into but, the second era. Versidu Shea was assassinated mm. by the Morag Tong, ironically, yeah. um, <laughs> and then succeeded by his son, Savrian Chorak. Yeah. And uh, then he also gets assassinated <laughs> as well later down the line. But by the way, there is like, I think there's a proper like, there's a lot of time in they between. They had good what runs the, without being assassinated. Yeah. Uh, 324. Yeah, 324. Yeah, Rings for 100 and, 106 years. Yeah. So there's a good, a good amount of time in between the assassinations. But the, the Morag Tong no, notoriety here is what got them uh, basically outlawed everywhere except Morrowind. And basically where they were being hunted down. And, and we can talk about this in the Dark Brotherhood episode coming up um, in a couple of podcasts. But... They, uh, Morag Tong had their schism, and this is where they think the Dark Brotherhood sort of came around the assassination of uh, Versaduche and Reem, yeah, before. So, yeah. But- I also forgot to mention um, the part where Reem in the second has Old One's Wall constructed. It's just a cool little, yeah, cool little piece. Well, that that's, uh, is it, um, I think I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be Reem in the first's head. On the big wall thing, yeah, before on you the get door, in. yeah, on the door, yeah, yeah, and his likeness, yeah, Alduin's wall, man, so cool. Mm. When I first saw the trailer for Skyrim, mm. I'll never forget it. It's pretty, yeah. Wait, it tells their full story, doesn't it? It's it's awesome. You can just because the uh, yeah, Quite but good. so as it is, the they basically set up the empire that that uh, culturally politically, militarily set up basically the foundations of of the empire that Tiber Septum would then create later. Because if you really look at it, um, Elysia's empire is, it's more like the spiritual foundation rather than the so much, so much the actual like structure, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, but then because in between, I mean, I guess we could kind of just like mention some of these if you want, but in between, there's a lot of... Obviously, Elder Scrolls Online takes place after the Potentates have been assassinated. The, the Riemann Empire officially falls. But you still kind of got Cyrodiil. There's still legions around. You had the whole... So you had uh, Durkarak, the Black Drake. And this is what I was talking about with the Reachmen before. Funnily enough, Riemann divided them, making it really hard for, for the Reachmen because they had to deal with both um, the Nords of Hafengar and um, uh, the Eastern High Rock. But then you, um, but then you've got Durkarak the Black Drake who unites all of these clans, basically uh, makes up a, a big army of Reachmen, and then goes into Cyrodiil and takes Cyrodiil, and they start the Longhouse Emperor's dynasty, which isn't a legitimate one because of the dragon blood, and same as the Varan Aquilarius guy afterwards, and so on. And it goes on and on in this tumultuous time until Tiber Septum. But yeah, so something I will say it's interesting that Vasudhusay was actually murdered. When he was in elsewhere, mm. he was in a palace in Sanchal because he liked the tropical yeah. heat and stuff. Because he's, he's a snake. He's a snake. <laughs> That's exactly it. He's a snake, physically and also quite uh, metaphorically in the story. Yeah, but and and their legacy is interesting. Like I'm pretty sure if you go to the Remanada, there's the there's the reference to um, Chevalier Renald mm-hmm. as the member of the Dragon Guard who protected their 
dynasty, but then he would also go and, and find Tiber Septim. Like all of all of the the empires, the legitimate ones, are like connected through some like larger story thread. Like you know, Remen being born of Alicia and Roll and stuff. But even Tiber Septim being found by the Akaviri Dragon Guard, basically looking for a new. From the new Empress. Stuff. Yeah, it's kind of a cycle of, you know, the, the Amulet of Kings disappearing, the dragon blood kind of fading away, and then the, the realization that we need to rediscover it for the for the betterment of the Empire. Yeah. Uh, I'll also say as well, while they are both Saesi, um, Savrian Chorak is quite different to Vasidu Shea, especially in the sense that he was kind of seen to be prone to mishandling crises. But he also got rid of the act that banned the formation of local armies. Mm. So Vasidu Shea is like, no. <laughs> and Savrian Chorak just chucks it back in. Mm. Like, no, you can do that. Um, also got Orsinium in the Empire. Yeah, there for, are... For a, yeah. a brief... <laughs> for that little fleeting moment before he's gone. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, but it's kind of a... Oh, it's just like... It's it's kind of a rule for for these empires is that um you know with, with the Remans they they were really dominant and good leaders but for a very short amount of time and it's like um you know Reman the second being a perfect example of a great leader but he was too ambitious and there's also the fact that the Imperials have a tendency to try to you know incorporate every land they take into their empire which can often bite them in the ass in that you know it kind of gives them the ability to fight back in the future but then you have the opposite end of the spectrum in the same empire being the the uh the potentates who are like a rule with much more of an iron scale and um you know get assassinated for it you know so it's a uh, it's the way it goes don't don't start an empire unless you want to get killed <laughs> Pretty much, but yeah, that's like the most, the least ambitious quote I've ever heard. <laughs> They're also so, by comparison, because we said, since we just did the episode on the Elysian Empire, both the Septim Dynasty and the um, Riemann Dynasty are so short lived by comparison, but so significant. Yeah, because it was just but there's two- no thousand long year dragon break as well yeah but, and even, then just but like even if you years. take out the thousand year dragon break it's still like Riemann dynasty is like around 200 years and then type of septum dynasty is only around 400 uh maybe probably closer to five getting there closer to five yeah. but but by comparison you know mm. look i'll just then say you're this, this the flame that burns twice as bright burns <laughs> half as long yeah yeah but then again there's also like a 500 year gap obviously between Hestra and Gorius or Gorius and Hestra. So there's, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of weird things about the Elysian Empire, but I agree it is like the, you know, the longest living as much as they probably weren't loved for a lot of it. And now it's, uh, there's no need for an empire anymore. There's no amulet of kings, no ordained emperors anymore. Receptacle, yeah. He's got Titus <laughs> Mead sitting in his ship. Yeah. Waiting mm. to get killed. Well, the it. canon ending for him. What do you think? He's, he's a dead man? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Because they, they'll run the events, like, even if it's not necessarily, like, the dragonborn, the, the canon idea will be someone killed the emperor. Or, or mm. they'll, they'll say, the Dark Brotherhood killed yeah. Titus Me. It's just so cool for the setup for Elder Scrolls Six. I think. Yeah. If they could work with that. Like, what happens to the empire? Does it kind of continue to crumble? Does it have a big overhaul and come imagine, back? Empire ma- special edition. Imagine <laughs> if they pulled a meme and you, in the new one, you were, like, assassinate the new emperor. 
again. So they go like the canon ending is Titus <laughs> Mead was assassinated and a new emperor's in, and then you assass just so you can assassinate him again in Elder Scrolls Six. Well, I'll tell like you, I'll tell you this: if the Second Empire is anything to learn from, we know that the assassinations of emperors can happen in a row. So, mm. yeah, it's happened before. I feel like the Riemann Empire is the best one. I do really yeah. like the Elysian Empire, but there's only those, to be fair, there's only those like hundred or so years in between Elysia and the rise of the Elysian Order that like I think would be really cool because after that it becomes this big crazy zealot. It's yeah. cool in itself, but it's just this big drawn out like empire thing. Whereas Riemann's got like really good mythology about building up the whole the origin story and then it's like i don't know i can remember all of the names of the emperors i know who they all were they're all characters in themselves and yeah i think i like the Riemann kind of in the second empire more anyway but I, it's definitely mythology is such a massive hook for me the whole story um of his birth mm. as funny as it can be to meme is also mm. just really really cool and the, the yeah. fact that there's this baby with the amulet of kings on his forehead is just uh, I love it. And speaking like an adult on the throne. <laughs> you know, the, you so know those cool. like Chad Virgin, Virgin memes? I'll see if I can find it and put it up. But there was one with um, like Riemann versus Tiber Septum. It was the Virgin Tiber Septum and the, and the, the Chad, Chad Riemann. Riemann. <laughs> and he's like this big mussy dude with his like, with his um, like big kings. amulet kings in his forehead and stuff. But yeah, it's pretty cool. <sighs> Poor Tiber. Well, we'll talk about the, uh, the Septum dynasty soon, I imagine. We've actually got a few other episodes we're playing. We're diverging for the Empire, so we'll be, uh, it'll be a long while, I think. Yeah, we've got a lot of really awesome topics planned that we want to tackle first. Just mix it up a bit. Yeah. Otherwise, we'll end up on a five-week-in-a-row Empire binge, and mm. I can't handle that. <laughs> no, I could keep going. I love the Empire. Oh, I do too, but not for five yeah. not No, five no, obviously. in yeah. a row. But yeah, I think that's about it. All right, yeah. well, thank you so much, everyone, for watching. It has been great to be here with Scott and Drew and having internet that works, not dying this episode. It was fantastic. And uh, we look forward to nerding out with you all again very soon.